This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Let's go. Parshki states everybody 5783. The sheets should be out there somewhere. Okay. Pusik is toward the very, very end of the Parsha. It's the second to last Pusik. You'll recognize it from Parsha Zachar as well. We're talking about a Malik. They met you on the road when you left Mitzrayim. The wording is weird, but they tailed after you all the week men that were behind you, they went after you. The Atayyafiya, you were weary, you were tired, you did not fear Hakarish Baruch. You never you didn't fear God during that time. So Rashi gives three explanations for the word Korcha. I'm going to spend a little bit on each one. One is Mikra, that's the way that we just translated it, that they happened to be there while you were traveling. They fought you for no apparent reason. That's a mullet just came up to you as if there was nothing else going on. That's that. Right? The Ibn Ezra and the Rashi say the exact same thing from the Lashon of Kol HaKoros Eschem and a few other places. But that's the idea of Asher Kor Chabaderech. Rav Hirsch calls it like a sudden assault. There was unprovoked, there was nothing happening before and that you'd think that a Amalek would go after them. If anything, a Amalek had that hatred from Esav, but that was 400 years ago. It wasn't like it was just happening, I say 320 years ago. It has absolutely nothing to do. It was just out of pure joy that they wanted to destroy. They were masochists and they wanted people to be destroyed. They wanted things to go down. That's all they wanted, right? They felt that maybe their lives were in danger by the people of the book, the way that Hitler, Yamach Shemot, thought right? when he wrote in Mein Kampf that the Jews give everybody a conscience. Maybe that's the idea behind it, but regardless, this was unprovoked. We didn't do anything to Amalek. We have no idea where Amalek came from, just just out of nowhere, this is what happened. The Orachayim Akadosh comes along and says, when B'nai Yisrael traveled throughout the desert, nobody knew where they were. This is crazy. I don't know if anybody knew this before. The Anani Akavod covered them up so much, it was like looking at a cloud. You didn't see B'nai Yisrael, and you had no idea where they actually were. It could be they were right behind that cloud, but it really was almost like an optical illusion. You saw something in front of you, but you couldn't tell exactly what it was, and it could have been like a mountain, so they had no idea what was there. You can't ask the question yet. I'm going to be finished. I will finish, and I will answer your question before you even think of asking it. Okay, so here's what it is. It's when Aaron passed away on Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av, right in the beginning of Av, the clouds all of a sudden went away, and the people, says the Orachim were visible for the very first time in a long time. So that's when the Kanani, who's also known as a Amalek, came to destroy them because they were right there. Right? That's the concept. This says the Orachimah How could they have known where B'nai Yisrael were? Nobody knew where they were because the clouds hid them. How could they have known they were there? And that's what the Puzzik says. Says the Orachimah Asher Kor Chabaderech. Literally, they never had any idea where B'nai Yisrael were. They were walking by the clouds went away because Aaron just passed away. And at that moment, they turned, saw the Jews and said, there they are. And they went right after them. And that was the story of how it happened, says the Orachim HaKadosh. There are tons of other Rishonim that say differently. Rishonim, not just Achronim, but Rishonim that say differently. That B'nai Yisrael had people that were always straggling behind them, like Shevet Dun, the 
Erev Rav, their animals were not inside the clouds. So everybody knew basically where B'nai Yisrael were. But the Orachim HaKadosh is clear. No one had any idea where B'nai Yisrael were. They happened to be there at the time when the clouds went away. And that's what Asher Korcha means, which is a crazy idea to think about. The Sefer Zer Zahav says the Yetzir Hara tries his absolute best to do, make us do mitzvos only when Korcha. Asher Korcha B'Terech is the way of Amalek. That, look, if you happen to be in a place and there's a mitzvah available, then go ahead and do it. But don't go out of your way. Don't push yourself to do a mitzvah that's not right there in front of you. That's the lesson of Asher Korcha. That Amalek is all about, look, if it's easy for me, I'll do that mitzvah. And if it's not easy for me, I'm not doing it. That's what we have to fight. That fight that we have is to do a mitzvah even if it's not easy, even if it's hard, even if we have to push ourselves and go somewhere else in order to do it. That's the idea. The Lenu Shabbat. So yes, we of course understand that everything HaKadosh Baruch Hu does is a purpose and there's a reason for it and nothing is just by chance. He gives a very interesting story. This young man who grew up with absolutely no formal Jewish education, right, but would often go to his grandparents' house. Now his grandparents used to keep Shabbos. He didn't know what it was and I don't know why his grandparents never fully explained it. So maybe they themselves were only keeping like the traditions but they weren't doing the actual things. That part wasn't explained very well. But regardless, he grew up not knowing anything whatsoever. But he knew that on Friday night, before he left his par- his grandparents' house, well, he was still really, really young, so he remembered his grandfather singing Eishes Chayo Miyimsa, the normal tune, the one that we all do. And he was singing Eishes Chayo Miyimsa, and he had that in his head. He loved the tune. And whenever he went to his grandfather's house, he would ask his grandfather to sing that tune, that Eishes Chayo, and he loved it. Something happened, again, no details, I can't tell you exactly what, I would assume the grandparents passed away, or they moved away, he had no shaykhs to it, and he hadn't heard it for many, many years. When he got married, he told his wife that there's one thing that he wants to do. He, Baruch Hashem, married a Jewish girl, which I think was a shocker to everybody, but he married a Jewish girl, and at the end, he said, listen, I know this is strange, but I remember this from my grandparents' house, and I know that I'm Jewish, and I know you're Jewish, I want to have a white tablecloth, for Friday night, and I want to sing a certain tune to you every Friday night, because I remember my grandfather singing it to my grandmother, right? And his wife said, I, I'm, I'm totally in. Whatever it is, let's do it. They put out the white tablecloth, and he started singing the tune, but he didn't know what the words were. So that first Friday night, they did it, but he couldn't, like, explain what he was doing, and he had no idea. So that day, that, I guess the next day, you know, Sunday, they decided they were going to go to a bookstore, a Jewish bookstore. They lived in the New York tri-state area. So they went to one of the Jewish bookstores there, and he went in, and he went with his wife, and he said, Hi, I'm looking for a book that has this song in it. And he started humming the tune, like, right? And he started doing it. And the bookstore, the guy who was the owner of the bookstore was looking at him like, do you mean Aishas Chayel? And he says, sing it. (laughs) Bookstore owner starts singing it. He starts singing, he's like, that's it, that's it. Do you have something that has it in there? So he got something. I would assume like an art scroll version or like the NCSY version that has Aishas Chayel with all the words in it and gave him that, you know, whatever, sold him that book. And that Friday night, they did it again, except this time he saw the words and I'm sure he wasn't able to read Hebrew so well, but he transliterated whatever it was and got it, got through it. And his wife said, but what are we saying? I don't even understand what we're saying. So she started looking at the English and started reading it through. And she saw it's beautiful. Like, 
the way the accolades that we that we profess toward our wives on Friday night is an unbelievable thing. We say great things about them. She started reading and she said, wait a second, Judaism believes that a woman is this special? I got to find out more about Judaism. I don't know too many people, by the way, <laughs> who have gotten into Judaism because it's really good for women. So, I mean, that works out really well. Either way, regardless, she, she ended up wanting to find out more. She found somebody to tell her more. He followed along for the ride and said, Rabbi Yitzhak Zilberstein, right, that led them onto the path of Judaism. and they became Shomer Torah Mitzvos. They moved to a certain area of Brooklyn. I'm sure it's Brooklyn. They sent their kids to Beis Yaakov's and to, you know, regular yeshivas. And it was just all because of a random, and again, this is the Asher Korcha part, a random idea, a random song that he kept hearing as a kid that his grandfather was singing. That's the concept that we destroy a Mulligan. That yes, it seems like everything is random, that everything is just out of nowhere. It's not. There's always a reason. There's always a purpose. The Chassam Sofer, he wonders, based on a medrash, how could you consider this a mikra? How could this be Asher Korcha? According to the medrash, the medrash tells us, in Medrash Tanchuma Parshat B'Shalach, Perich says that a Molek jumped 400 parsa, that's 800 miles, give or take, to be able to run and grab B'nai Yisrael when they left Mitzrayim. That's not a Korcha. That's not like we met you somewhere. This means that at some point, they were jumping and running to get them. Now, if you'll remember, before I mentioned that the clouds were covering them, right, and then Aaron died, that means it was in the 40th year that they fought against the Malik, which could happen if it was Sichon and the Kanani, etc. This, according to this idea, the Chassam Sofer says, this is referring to Amalek all the way back in year number one when they first left Mitzrayim. When they first left Mitzrayim, Amalek jumped 400 parsa to get them, which was clearly intentional. Clearly, they found them in order to wage war. How could you call that Asher Korcha? Additionally, this is what the Chassam Sofer says, why is it a problem that they fought in Esau when they were tired and weak? I, I don't understand. Isn't that the way of war? You try to find disadvantages of your opponent and try to destroy them. There's, there's no way where you say like, oh, well, I'm a pitcher and that guy really loves the inside fastball. I'm going to throw him an inside fastball and see what happens. That's not what you do. You throw him a curveball low and outside. Isn't that what you would normally do? You try to find the weaknesses. So we're saying like, oh man, I'm Mullick. You fought us when we were tired and weak. What did you expect them to do? There is no person who tries to get people when they're in their strongest state. That's ridiculous. That's not something you can expect when it comes to war. So he says the following. He says, all of this is a remez, says the Chassam Sofer, of what we did to allow a mullik to come. It's not about a mullik. And the truth is, it's never about our enemy. It's about us. What did we do to deserve to fight another nation? That somebody else came up against us and took us over. What happened to allow Bavel to destroy the base of Mikdash? What did we do? It doesn't matter that Bavel did it. Whatever they did, HaKadosh Baruch Hu either punish them or reward them based on what they did, good things and bad things. It's what we did to deserve such a thing to happen. You can say that throughout an entire history. It's not about them, it's about us. What did we do? When we learn properly with Zrizus and Bren, when we daven and we like doing it, we get involved with this stuff, there's no one that can touch us. When we don't learn, when we don't get involved, when we don't want to do anything, that's exactly when Amalek comes. When are we learning, right, on the highest level? When things are going really well. But when we're Ayef the Yagea, tired and weary, and our learning is not going well, that's when a mullet comes up against us. And that's the entire hint of what the Pusik is telling us. Yes, a mullet took advantage of us in a situation, but it's because 
we were learning or davening because we were at the Ikea. I've got nothing else to do, so I'm going to pull myself in and I'm going to do something, but I'm not going to be into it. I'm not going to be there. I got so used to davening that I get up and by rote, I throw tefillin on me and I just go ahead and daven. Again, I'm giving this muster to myself as much as I am to anybody else here. But like, I do it because I know I have to. If I don't go to davening, someone's going to ask why the rabbi's not at davening today. And I get that. I totally get it. It's mitzvahs anashim lumada. That's the concept of Ayyipi Agea. And that's when they can get to the zanav, the tales of Klau Yisrael. That's the idea of what he says is Asher Korcha. Asher Korcha doesn't mean that we just met up with them. That's not the point of it. Asher Korcha means is that, almost as if, they will meet you when you treat it as if it's a mikra. I'm okay with learning once in a while if it comes to me. And that goes back to what we said before. If it comes to me and I'm ready to do it because it's there, that's when Amali comes in. If we treat it as if it's something that I have to do, something that I really want to do, like I wrote to some people this week, like commitment, right? You might have seen that word commitment in something that I wrote to some of you, right? That idea, if it's committed, then it's a totally, totally different situation. You committed yourself to it. You made something different. Everything changes. That's all the first part of what Asher Korcha means. There's a second part. Second part, says Rashi, is a very strange one. Keri Vituma. The word is Keri Vituma. Keri is another word that they use for Sheikh Vazera. It happens when a person is sleeping and something happens, etc. Right? That they were Metame Bnei Yisrael. According to the Medrash, they were Metame Bnei Yisrael with Mishkav Zachor. And I'm obviously not going to translate that because they knew that the Jews were disgusted by such a thing. They caused them to be Motzi Zerah Levatola on purpose. And that was Asher Kor Chabaderach. That they caused you to do terrible things and did it on purpose knowing that this is something that Bnei Yisrael hated and despised. Yes, Shomo. We haven't gotten to that yet. It could be that they were able to get to everybody. If we're talking about in the 40th year, then it could have been anybody. If it's the first year, it depends on when the Anani Yaakovu joined them and if they were there right after they left Mitzrayim. It's possible that it wasn't just in Echasholim. But yes, you're right. There are, as we'll see, it seems like their main the people that they really went up against were the Nechasholim, the guys who were outside of the, the Anani Yaakovu. You are right about that. Still good people, just happen to not be able to be Zilcha to be in the Anani Akavot. The number three is the hardest one, and the one that Rashi spends the most time on. He says that Sherkorcha is from the word kor. Kor means to cool down something that's hot. Bnei Yisrael were hot at the time. Bnei Yisrael, nobody wanted to touch them. They just had the makos happen to Mitzrayim. They just ran out of Mitzrayim and had Kriyas Yamsuf. The things were going unbelievably well for Bnei Yisrael, and there was nobody who would think that Bnei Yisrael could ever go down. They looked at Bnei Yisrael and they said, these people are amazing. What are we going to do? If we touch them, we'll get burned. So what did Amalek do? They jumped into the boiling hot bath. That's the muscle that Rashi uses. They jumped into the boiling hot bath. They got scalded. They got burned. But it cooled down the bath for everybody else. Once that bath got cooled down, everybody was like, oh, B'nai Yisrael isn't so special. Amalek wasn't incinerated on the spot. I didn't see any miracles in that war when B'nai Yisrael fought against Amalek. I was expecting miracles. I was expecting crazy things to happen. And nothing happened. It cooled everyone down. 
That, says Rashi, was the worst thing that Amalek did. That they wanted to cool it down for everybody else. That nobody thought of an Esau something awesome. The Magad Mezrich used to say that the avoda of every person is to warm himself up to the service of his creator. To cool himself down when it comes to something that's desirable, like eating something improper or seeing something that he shouldn't see. The Yetzer Hara's job is korcha. Cool down your desire for mitzvos and warm up your taivas. That's what it's supposed to be. Asher Kor is that idea. And that's what we have to fight. That idea of cooling oneself down. The Yelis HaShachar points out that all three of these things that we just mentioned, right, whether it's Asher Kor they happen upon you, or it's carry, or it's Kor, like cooling you down, are not exactly what you think a Moloch deserves to be punished for. I would think that a Moloch deserves to be punished because they fought B'nai Yisrael and started a war. It's not the happens to be they were there, or they cooled you down, or they caused the tuma. It's that they fought you, and they tried to kill you. That's the first thing that you would say. If you would have asked anything, that's the idea behind it. But says Dayal Shachar, this Rav Shteiman, Rav Shteiman, he says, the real reason for being punished is because of their chutzpah. They didn't act properly. It's that, yeah, obviously it's hard, and it's war, and whatever it is, but because they were willing to do anything to get B'nai Yisrael to sin, it wasn't about the war, it wasn't about the fight, it was almost as if they went in on a suicide kamikaze mission. We know we're going to die. We know. But at least we can get something out of it so B'nai Yisrael will go down in the end. It's almost as if they went in with that in mind. That type of chutzpah, that horrid, horrid idea, that's why we're so afraid of a mullik, and that's why a mullik has to be destroyed, said Rav Steinman. They knew they were going to win, and it didn't matter. They fought anyway for the next person to be able to fight B'nai Yisrael, for something else to happen. Yalku Ruveni gives a fourth explanation of Asher Korcha, a fourth one, right? And he says, it's from Rav Nachman in the Medrash, and it says, Korcha comes from the Lashon of Kor Echa. Listen to this. The Medrash says that a mullik went to the tax houses in Mitzrayim and they started looking up all the names of the Jews who paid taxes and who didn't. Ah, literally no, Jews try to get out of taxes. But he said, right, he went through all the different taxes and everything. They found all the names of the Jews and then they went outside of the Ananiah Kavod and they called out loud, Ruvain, Ruvain, we need you. We want to do business with you. Do you remember us, Ruvain? And Ruvain's like, ah, I, I don't remember these guys, walked out of the Ananiya Kavod and Amalek killed him. Shimon! Hey, Shimon! Shimon, we need to talk to you. They had their names. Shimon ben Ruvain. Yeah, Shimon ben Ruvain. Remember Shimon ben Ruvain? Remember me? And they called them out and they killed them when they came outside of the Ananiya Kavod. Is that crazy? It's an unbelievable message. And that's what they were saying. Asher Korcha means they called out to you, as in the word Kara, Vayikra. They called out to you, asked you to come out of the Ananiya Kavod, and then they killed them that way. It's also quoted in the name of Rabbi Nechemia. I found it in a Medrash Tanchuma and here, over here in Osiyad Gimel. That's where Asher Korcha comes from. And again, that's just evil. That's unbelievably evil. Trying to act as if they're your friend and fool them into coming out. Okay, the next part of the Pasuk. All that was all Asher Korcha. The next part of the Pasuk, there's two more parts that we want to concentrate on. Number one is the word Vayizanev Acharecha. That's a weird word. They tailed behind you. They tailed after you as if they were following behind you or they grabbed you by the tail. Says Rashi, they cut off the bris milas of the Jews they had killed, threw them up to the sky. The Balaturim says the word Korcha is 320, the same as Sarais, 
which means to make into a eunuch, to castrate the Jews. That they cut off that area, they were misarisim. Vayezanev Becha, right, is 97 for Zehamila. They took off the bris milah. Refers says the zanav is an extra appendage, and that's what it refers to the bris milah, the orla, which is the extra appendage that's right over there, and that's what they did. Parish Yonason says you can even learn it from the word hanecha shalim acharecha that were behind you, like the, the people that were weak behind you. You can split up the word hanecha shalim into nachash and milah. Because they had the bris mila that was being cut off by the nachash. The amalekim, those people were trying to do it. He even says it's even more so. Like the bris mila is able to fi- fix everything. Or that's what it's supposed to be in the first place. And the nachash tries to destroy, destroy us. And he says, Daibazela maven. He says, for those who understand, that's what the nachash is. The nachash is the opposite of the bris mila. And he stops with that. The dasakinim says, amalek is literally amlak. They wanted to lick up the blood of Klau Yisrael. Destroy them in such a way where they would completely take them down. Okay, so time out. First of all, I'd never really understood this matter, and I never really understood Rashi. There's a few Perushi Rashi, before Rashi, who sort of get into this, but they don't really explain it. How can you cut off the Milas of Klau Yisrael if they already had a Bris Mila? And you can't ask me, wait, are you sure they all had a Bris Mila? If it's the first year, again, remember, there are two times that Amalek may have fought them. Definitely when they left Mitzrayim, but possibly Canaan is Amalek at the end of the 40 years when the Anania Kavod went away. If it's the first year, everyone had a bris milah. They all got a bris milah when they left Mitzrayim to eat the Korban Pesach. They all had that. So what in the world were they cutting off? If it's the 40th year, I get it a little bit better. They did not give bris milah throughout the Midbar. Shevet Levi did, but nobody else did. So B'nai Yisrael were all with their orlas. And therefore, when it says they cut off the bris milah, it just means they gave them a bris milah, right? And they cut off the orlas there. So what is this exactly? So my thought process is, if it's the second, the 40th year, fine, I got it. They were cutting off the orlas and giving them a bris milah. If it's the first year, it sounds like they actually cut off that area that had the bris milah and threw it up in the air. That they weren't cutting the bris milah. There's nothing to cut. The bris milah already happened. But they cut off that part. And I think that's what the Balaturim is saying from the word sares. Sares means to cut off that area. I think that that's what they did. They cut off the area that has the bris milah, threw it up into the air, as we'll see in a second, and showed, right, HaKadosh Baruch, you want the bris milah, here it is for you. This is what you have. Because Nayim Torah says the bris milah is what made B'nai Yisrael special, different from all the other nations before the Torah was given. The children of Esav understood it because they knew that was in the family. Esav did not there's a question whether Esav himself ever got a bris milah. Yaakov, Yitzchav, you know, may not have given it to him because he was super red. You don't give a bris milah to a very red baby or a very yellow baby. That you're not supposed to do. So it's possible that Esav never got a bris milah and he never had it. But he knew it was in the family. They knew what it was, right? Since it was a chosen mitzvah in Klau Yisrael, they despised them for it because they felt they were the rejects. They were the ones who didn't get it. When B'nai Esau were on their way to accept the Torah and make them themselves even more different from the other nations, that's what Amalek did. They grabbed their bris milahs and said, you think you're different? You're no different. You are not different than, than we are. That's how the Oznayim Latorah says. The Chassam Sofer says, this is why Amalek did what they did with the milahs themselves. The other nations might say that Amalek is different. You know, like Amalek could fight B'nai Yisrael because they're brothers. They also are part of the bris milah family. Do you remember what happened when Moshe Rabbeinu found out about Og? 
And Hashem had to tell him, Al Tira Oso, don't be afraid of him, right? What was he afraid of? Why was Moshe Rabbeinu afraid of Og? So you know what Rashi says? He has a bris mila from Avram Avinu. Og worked for Avram Avinu and had a bris. That's what he was afraid of. So maybe the other nations would say the same thing, says the Chassam Sofer, about Esav. The reason why Esav can fight B'nai Yisrael when they left Mitzrayim, Amalek, because they also have a bris mila. They're connected in that way. So maybe they were able to fight, but we, we don't have a bris mila. We can't fight. To that, Amalek took the bris milas, threw them up, and said, we don't care about the bris. We are totally off when it comes to this stuff. We don't believe in anything that God gave to our great-grandfather Yitzchak. We don't believe in anything like that. So we don't want anything to do with this, and specifically the bris mila. It's not about the bris. That's not our power. Our power is what we want to do. Our ability to think that anything goes. Shlomo, what were you going to say before? Yeah, I, I didn't want to get into Erev Rav. There's no one who specifically mentions the Erev Rav being killed by a Amalek here. They do it in Bishalach, but they don't do it here. So it's possible, right, that you're dealing with the Erev Rav. Either way, it's also possible the Erev Rav got Bris Milos. We don't know that either. No, they would have gotten, they, they could have gotten in Mitzrayim. It depends when the Erev Rav joined Klal Yisrael. Did they just join them when they were leaving, or did they join them the day before, which would have been when everybody in B'nai Yisrael got Bris Milos? It's possible they got it then. I, I can't tell you for sure. The Erev Rav are restrained, whether it is or not, I don't know. I can't tell you for sure. Dave? So what's the, I'm still lost what the motivation from Malak is. I mean, do they believe in God or don't they believe in God? They absolutely don't believe in God to the point where they clearly know that there's a God. Okay? That, that is without a doubt. Right? No, no, no. It's, it's exactly what it sounds like. They are so convinced that there is no God that they have to convince themselves <laughs> that there is no God. Like, it, 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 they knew. They knew Esav. Esav had no doubts when it came to Amun and Akadosh Baruch Hu. What do they hope to gain by this? It seems like it's, it's, a, it's a losing To topic. show the world. To show the world that God doesn't run the world we do. That's it. We, you can do anything you want. And anything goes in this world. I don't, I don't see how that benefits some of them, again, what, I, I'm just saying for Japan, why do the Japanese send kamikaze fighters to be able to just throw their planes right into the ships of the, the, of the U.S.? It's for the better of the country. This idea was like this betterment of the country. Why are there suicide bombers? Why do the Arabs have such a thing? I don't know if they all believe it. They believe they're doing something better for their nation. There are people that are willing to sacrifice for their beliefs. We do it. We have mysterious nefesh also, right? This is just a different type of mysterious nefesh. It's a mysterious nefesh to show that there really is nothing. And by the way, as a side note, if you really don't believe there's anything in the world to come and that this is it, what difference does it make if you die? Well, like, okay, um, for a Malik... Well, that, that, there's no need. Maybe he didn't live, Maybe these guys were super ugly. There's nothing they were going to get in this world. So they just said, like, it's better for us to just die now. So they were willing to do something and give up everything for it. Were they commonly trading in the desert? I think they were, right? Yeah. They were commonly trading with other groups. It depends on when, but yes, definitely after the second year. After they built the Mishkan, that's when they started trading with the other groups. Yeah, either passing by. It's not that far away. Think of where they were. They were in the Negev. They're not so far away from civilization as we know it, right? How long would it take to get from Chevron, right, the bottom of known Eretz Yisrael, or that area, Be'er Sheva, to the Negev? How many, two days, a no, day's they, trip? Everything is being provided for them. Yeah, 100%, but they, still, but they still had extras. They still had extras that they bought. Yeah, it was something, you know. 
They still had wares. They still had something to be able to give up. And that's that. I mean, somebody's going to buy all the shearings of their wool. They did have extra milk, right, from all the animals that they had. What do they do with all that? At some point, there's an Ibn Ezra about all this, but, you know, the Chavetz Chaim compares this to the Jewish Bolsheviks in Russia. And everybody has to, I have to apologize for this. I'm not positive that I'm pronouncing this right. I tried looking it up, but my ability to look things up on Google is very, very, very pathetic. I, I don't know. The Yavsekim is that the right word for it? Does anybody know what the right word for it? They were the Jews who worked. It's basically the Bolshevik, the Bolshevik Revolution. There were the Yavsekim who were Jews who were trying to join them. He calls them the Yavsekim. I just don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Either way, regardless, they banded together with. He claimed the Chavetz Chaim famously claimed that all the Jews who were in the Bolshevik Revolution, who were known as the Yavsekim, were all the Erevrav. And the Erev Ravi says, their Shoresh, their root, is a Malik. A Malik's purpose in this world is to degrade Kavod Shemayim. And that is exactly purely Lahachis, not out of Taiva, but just Lahachis to anger HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's why they took their milas and threw them up in the air. That's exactly who they were as people. That's exactly what these evil people in Russia did as well at that time, which is a crazy thing to think about. Anyway, that is that. The Ibn Ezra goes on and he says, and Rashi, etc., they say, Nachsholem are the people that were spat out from the back of the Anani HaKavod. From there, Menachem Sion learns a huge lesson. I love this lesson. It's an unbelievable lesson. He said, you cannot give up on any Jewish life. Meaning, there are these people that were kicked out of the Anani HaKavod. How bad did you have to be to be kicked out of the Ananim that you, were, you weren't allowed in? And something happened to them that they were completely gone. And yet, even so, when Amalek fought them, HaKadosh Baruch who was so angry at Amalek, he said, from now on there's a war. Melchamas Hashem la'amalek midor dor. That there's going to be a war against Amalek for all generations because how dare they take down the people in the nation that were kicked out. If it was the Arab Rav, as Shlomo asked before, right? If it's just the Arab Rav, the Amalek were killing. And HaKadosh Baruch was like, how dare they? How could they? That shows that even the people that are so far off, so far gone, that they have no shaykhist to the Anani HaKavu. They have no shaykhist to anything. Yet still, HaKadosh Baruch says, how dare you fight them? It shows us, says the Menachem Sion, that it's not about despising them, killing them, that even those people are amazing. And then he goes on and he says, we know that anybody who's killed because they're Jewish is a kadosh that has Mesiris Nefesh in some way, shape, or form. He's a kadosh that he died al-Kiddush Hashem and goes straight to Gan Eden. All of these Nechashalim who were so weak that they're out of the Anani HaKavod, all of them are in such a level that they're brought to the highest level of Gan Eden. I, I'm just pointing this out for you, and I know you all know this, but this is a crazy thought. The Dor HaMidbor doesn't have a chalik in Olam Haba. The Dora Midbor, the people that were in the clouds, the people that experienced the Mun, the Be'er Miriam, and the Ananiya Kavod, who lived there, they didn't get Olam Haba, according to one opinion in Sanhedrin and, and Kuf Zion. But these guys, the guys who were kicked out of the Ananiya Kavod, because they were so bad that God didn't want them in there, they died Al-Kiddush Hashem from Amalek and went straight up to Olam Haba and Gan Eden. I want you to think about that for a second. That's nutty. That's unbelievably crazy. Says Zion, do you see what we're dealing with here? You could have a guy who's totally off, totally wrong, totally anything, and he dies in Sahal, and he's brought to a higher level than a guy who's sitting in Meisharim who does one thing wrong and he's kicked out. He gets that one Chiyuv Kares. 
That's, it's just a crazy thought. It is a really, really crazy thought. And I take no responsibility for the results of that action, okay? I just think you should all be from. <laughs> Don't be that guy who goes totally off and says, like, see, I can still make it. I just have to die. Not a, not a good idea. That's not, that's not a great idea at all. Anyway, Rashi in Yechesko. I'm sorry? Right, right. It's not, it's not, suicide definitely is not the answer, right? That guy who ran into North Korea, that's not the answer. Right? It's clearly not what you're supposed to do. Okay, one last thing. Rashi and Yechesko, Perak says this is all Shevet done. They were the ones who were spat out from the Ananakov because they had a Vodazar. Everybody wonders, Shevet done at a Vodazar, they had Pesel Micha at the end of Shoftim. Right, and they stole it from Micha. They had a Vodazar. It's a big kasha, exactly what it means. Targum Yonasem says the exact same thing. He says the opinion of the Rabbanan who argued with Reb Nachman before, who says about who was kicked out. The Balaturim says the words, Hanachashalem Acharecha is 731. It's the same as Zehaya Shifto Shall Done. And unless I'm wrong in my gematria, and I'm usually not wrong about this, it's off by two. I don't know why it's off by two, but it happens to be off by two. The Rabbinu Ophraim adds that the symbol for Shevet Done was a Nachash. Nachash Aliderech, right? So it makes sense that the word Nachashalem referred to them. So then he wonders, Chedusha Rim wonders, he's like, wait a second, if Shevet Dun was the Shevet that was kicked out of the Anani Akavod, why were they the head of their Degel? Right? Remember, you had Yehuda that's in charge of, it was um, Yehuda Yisachar Zvulun. You had Ruvain who was in charge of Ruvain, Shimon, and Gud. You had Ephraim who was Ephraim and Asher ben Yamin. And then you had Dun who was in charge of Dun, Naphtali, and Asher. Why? Dun was the bad Shevet. They're the people out of Odezara, they were kicked out. How could they be the people that are, I guess you could say, that, that, uh, that, that had this idea. So there is such a crazy line. Listen to this Chidush Arim, like the Gera Rebbe. He says, Shevet Dun was filled with people who judged Al-Pidin. They didn't want anything extra more than what they, they deserved. We want what we deserve and nothing more than that. The Gemara Pesachim, Dabdalit says it was a guy who kept saying, Donu Dini, Donu Dini, take my case to court, take my case to court. And in the end, Right? They found out, they looked into his yichus, and they realized he's from Shevet Dun. He must be from Shevet Dun. These guys said to themselves, we don't deserve the Ananiya Kavod. That's what Shevet Dun said. They wanted to live Alpidin. And they said to themselves, we don't deserve this. So they willingly took themselves out, says the Chidush They weren't kicked out. They felt like they were a bunch of snakes, lowly, like you can call them humble people, they felt like they belong on the ground. We don't belong here. So they took themselves out. They threw themselves out of the clouds and said, all right, let's stay out here. And those were the people thinking they weren't deserving of the, of the kindness of a Baruch Hu. That's that. So what was the problem? These were great people. These were unbelievable. I love him. Why in the world were they punished to die at the hands of a Malik? Says the Chodesh Arim, that is idolatry. If you are given something by a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and you say, no, I don't want it, I don't deserve this, and you try saying, I'm not somebody, it's not lifting me sure as you're acting alpidin in your mind, and you say, I don't want this, this is not good, even though Hashem clearly gave it to you, clearly, He's doing something for you, that is idolatry. You accept what a Kaddish Baruch Hu gave you. You can't be maharher. You can't think about and consider about something that a Kaddish Baruch Hu clearly gave you. Even if you don't know what you did to deserve what Hashem just gave you, you have to continue to accept it with Shlemus. That, the Chidush Rim is an unbelievable level of Shevet Dun. That Shevet Dun was doing Avodah Zarah, but what Avodah Zarah? They didn't have Avodah Zarah yet. Their Avodah Zarah was themselves, thinking that they knew better than God. 
that we know better than what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving us and stuff like that. There's a part of Yosef over here and there's one last thing. The Shalos Yitzhu is Imre David and Simon Tzadik Yemal asks why Amalek would specifically cut off the bris milas of Kla Yisrael. He says, we know that B'nai Yisrael, oh, you know what? I want to skip this one. This is not a great one. It's an interesting one, but it's not like a crazy one over here because I, I, I had like three questions on it. So like, you know what? I'm going to skip to one other thing. I'm going to have one other thing. Skip the Miyamloe, skip the reverse, right? Below Yorea Lokim. There's a big question what these words mean. Below Yorea Lokim. He did not fear God. Who didn't fear God? So Rashi, the Ibn Ezra, and Targum Yonas and Benuzio all say it's Amalek. Amalek did not fear God. They did whatever they wanted to do. The Grizz even has a piece on this. We all know that a Ganev, right, is punished more than a Goslin. Why? A Goslin is not afraid of God and he's not afraid of people. He's willing to steal right there in front of you. A Ganev, however, he's not afraid of God. But he is afraid of people, and that's why he steals stealthily, without anybody knowing, and hiding, without anybody getting involved. So a Ganev is actually worse than a Goslin. That's why a Ganev has to pay five times. A Goslin, okay, a Goslin doesn't have to pay the four or five times. Kethel is only by a Ganev. It's not by a Goslin. Okay, that's that. Says the Grizz, he's like, that. this idea is a Malik, when they had fear of Hashem, they never had fear of Hashem. When they had fear of people, right, it made them worse than anybody else. Amalek only fought, says the Grizz, when we were a yeth the Agea. They didn't want to fight us when we were doing well. They fought us when we were weak, which means they were afraid of us, but not afraid of God. So they're like a Ganev. And that makes them worse than anybody else out there. That's the idea that he says right over there. But there is another opinion. The other opinion, which is so strange is the Veloyer Elohim refers to B'nai Yisrael. The Chizkuni, the Orachayim HaKadosh, Dasakanim, and the Rush says Veloyer Elohim means B'nai Yisrael did not fear God. There was something that happened. Whether it's they cheated on their weights and measures. That's how the Dasakanim and the Rush says. Whether it's they were worried about their recent experiences. They were scared going through the Yamsuk. They thought at all times it could have crashed down on top of them. They were worried that Mitzrayim was just going to go around and catch them on the other side. There was something out there. Or, just simply put, the Chizkuni says, if they got, they fought against the Mullah, it must mean that they lacked Yiras Shamayim at the time. It's sort of like, once you get one, you don't get the other. Which means all of them said, right, that Lo Elohim is really referring to Ben Yisrael. The Nitziv and the Tosefes Bracha feels the same way. Because Ben Yisrael didn't believe, HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent them a Malik. And he gives the craziest example. He said, Ben Yisrael really didn't need to eat or drink throughout the entire Midbar. If they would have sat there and said, Hashem saved us from a time, He can do anything. They wouldn't have felt hungry for the next 40 years. Had they said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu took us out of Mitzrayim, Hashem put us through Kriyas Yamsuf, why do we need water? They would have gotten no water over the next 40 years. Nothing would have happened. But because they wanted food, so Hashem gave them none. And because they said we're thirsty, so Hashem gave them water. But they didn't need it. It didn't need to happen. Nothing needed to happen, and they would have been perfectly fine. And the raya is, did they ever change their clothing? Did they ever change their shoes? Kids grew up and their clothes changed with them like a snail's shell. It, it happened along with them. Says the Nitziv, you didn't need any of this stuff. Had you feared Hashem, there is nothing that Amalek could have done to you, could have done anything to you. You know what would have happened? Amalek would have all had heart attacks before they fought against Bnei Israel and they would have died. You know what could have happened? 
Snakes would have come, bitten every single one of them, poisoned them, and died. You know what could have happened? I'm well, like Sancheriv, with 185,000 soldiers dying all of a sudden. If you truly have that Yerush Shemayim, you don't have to worry about anything. The Kodesh Baruch will take care of it before it even comes in. It's similar to like, listen, you go up after 120 and a Kodesh Baruch Hu, you say to a Kodesh Baruch Hu, like, I can't believe you didn't do anything for me, God. And Hashem says like, do you know how many car accidents I prevented from you? Do you know how many car accidents could have happened? But I made sure that that guy made a left instead of a right. I made sure that that guy forgot something at home, so he went home instead. There are thousands, if not millions of things that could happen every single day that a Kaddish Baruch who's taking care of us with that we don't even recognize says in a tip that's exactly what this is. If you have no Yerus Elohim, if you don't fear a Kaddish Baruch then the result is going to be something devastating. But if you do, everything will change. We're going to stop with this, everybody. Have a great Shabbos. We'll see everybody soon.